a very short uh, illustration of the application of these principles. I've done a little bit of homework here. Uh, and the scenario is that a customer comes to us and says, I want a domestic intrusion detection system. Now, we could just go and find the first box with that label on and sell it to a customer. If, the, that, if that had a history of producing prosperous supplies, there would be a case for doing that. History is the opposite. History is both parties being dissatisfied, the, the supplier suffering because of customer dissatisfaction, generally speaking, on average. So alternatively, the supplier here will be concerned with a better understanding of what the customer actually needs, uh, what their imperatives are, what their values are, uh, and will then make better business decisions as to what course of action they're going to take, what they're going to develop uh, or bid uh, or even walk away from the thing, perhaps. Now, in doing that, they are not just going to sit in or stand in front of the customer and say, what do you require? There's a saying in English, doing something until the cows come home. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Uh, and it, it, we can do that until the cows come home. That is for a very long period of time. Have no hope, no realistic prospect whatsoever of achieving an adequate understanding of what the customer requires, let alone what the customer needs. Elicitation is a popular term, requirements elicitation, but it is largely ineffective if we just elicit requirements. We will certainly be eliciting, but in applying a systems approach, we will take an outward-looking view and an upward-looking view, study the problem domain, hence the term requirements analysis, and use analysis to identify specific issues that become the focus of much of the dialogue with stakeholders. So yes, we'll be eliciting, but we'll be eliciting responses to mainly specific issues identified mainly through analysis. And that really works. Not only does it work, but it is very economical. It's much more economical than endless discussion and requirements workshops that don't ever achieve an adequate problem definition and statement cost uh, percentages of total project cost of that activity between 0.1% up to about 2%, with most cases between 0.2 and 0.8%. Now, if you look at those numbers compared with the historical costs of failing to or uh, attributed to bad requirements, the bad requirements costs are an order of magnitude or even more higher. So if those are valid numbers, and I believe it's, they provably are, then that gives us, and that suggests, and in fact history is that it gives us a high return on investment but through that form of uh, achievement of problem definition. I've illustrated here a little bit of such modelling. I've illustrated a little bit of functional modelling. Now, uh, user stories and use cases, uh, popular... Uh, in some communities are, are, are a basic form and in some circumstances perfectly adequate forms of that approach. Or if we're talking about a, uh, say, a border protection system for the Republic of South Africa, uh, then we are going to use a much more uh, robust uh, requirements analysis set of modelling tools uh, to achieve what for a, a more complex and uh, higher value system is an adequate problem definition. Now, this is one aspect, the problem name aspect of model-based systems engineering. We will reach a point where we'll 
uh, of course we'll be thinking about solution, but we'll start making solution decisions. We'll conceive of ways in which that problem could be solved. Air sucking mass spectrometers lining the property, no, can't meet a cost imperative. A cat-based approach, have the cats hearing, seeing, smelling and going scratch, scratch, scratch and meow, meow, meow as cats do? No, can't be better than a dog-based approach. So we have criteria for qualifying concepts. Now, I have, I've replaced the cat-based with a dog-based approach. We, uh, from our knowledge, might conceive of other approaches. We'll actively, depending on the importance, actively stimulate innovation in a variety of ways. We'll try to maximise it through technique, basic techniques like brainstorming, but there are other techniques we'll use also to stimulate and maximise innovation. Now, let's say that we, in doing this, end up with two approaches that uh, are worth carrying forward. Dog-based and satellite infrared imagery-based. In applying our systems engineering principles, we will then uh, architect on the physical side, defining or developing the physical concept by defining initial candidate system elements destined to become what are conventionally called configuration items, for most of them anyway. Now, for a dog-based approach, when we do that, we're going to have a dog. So we'll put a dog in here somewhere. Believe it or not, that's a dog. Poor thing. That's also going to contribute to the function of deterring intrusion. Just one look at the dog and the intruder will go in the other direction. We're going to have the interior of the dwelling. Whoops, DW. The intruder is going to be a part of the solution. In engineering solutions, uh, it's very common to find things in both the problem domain and the solution domain. Air traffic control, for example, aircraft, as soon as we use radar to get a radar return, the aircraft is also in the solution domain. So that's not uncommon at all. <laughs> the uh, dog is only in the solution domain. The family cat is only in the problem domain. Now, we could have the intruder in Durban, the dog in Pretoria, and the intruder the dwelling in Stellenbosch. We don't have a solution. So another part of the solution is a set of information describing how these should be configured with respect to one another. So build instructions. And there are many circumstances where we would uh, decide to provide operating instructions also as a part of the solution, which means that we are taking responsibility for these requirements being met, providing the system is operated in accordance with those instructions. But if a pilot tries to take off with a flap in the opposite direction to where they're supposed to be at Madrid Airport and crashes the aircraft, Airbus is not taking responsibility for that. Okay, so we now have a, a concept transformed into an initial set of system elements. To illustrate one of the other principles that we've discussed of logical design, uh, we've illustrated about four of the ones, four, four or five so far. Now, logical design will turn our focus to developing the logic. Preceding the solution is either a non-intrusive entry, enter, or an intrusive entry. We are relying on smell being created, by the intruder in fact, but smell being created, propagated, detected, similarly sound, similarly image, and then that detection being classified. So we have class, classify detection. 
And this is the logic of our design, expressed in functional logic terms, for the requirement detect intrusion. We need to design to make the thing alert the householder. Bark. Propagate bark. Oops. I've missed one. Propagate bark. And hear bark. Okay, have the concept. Not capable of sustained operation. To make it so, has to do, do this for two years. Obtain food. Store food. Retrieve food from storage. Prepare food. Dog food on the kitchen floor. What a horrible thought that is. Hold the dog food. Nothing in the physical design to do that. We need to refine. We need to go back and fix the physical design to add something. This is a Brazilian dog. The, the generic name for Brazilian dogs is Rex. You wouldn't believe the useless information you could pick up at a meeting like this. <laughs> but it is. Okay, come back to our physical, our logical design, um, and we can now write uh, whole dog food uh, and then eat. Now, up here we had function and performance. You know, detect intrusion with what? Correct detection rate, false alarm rate, what delay? We now to need to flow down performance. So we end up with how much smell, um, time delay, again, propagation loss, time delay, detection sensitivity, time delay, classified detection, correct classification, false classification, time delay, bark how loud, how long, propagate attenuation, sensitivity, time lag, uh, obtain food, how much, same sort of stuff. So we have requirements level functions, solution level functions for this functional form of logical design. We immediately now turn our attention to uh, implementation. Uh, this is the logic of this physical concept, but we now need to formalise the implementation. Says he, looking around for a red pen. There we are. Yep. Thanks, Alan. Crate smell. What's to do that? Well, we're relying on the dog, uh, the intruder, not the dog, the intruder creating the smell, not the dog. Similarly sound, similar image. Now, what we're doing is essentially formally mapping or formally, uh, yes, we're mapping is the right word, the logic to its implementation. And in doing so, we are creating functional requirements on subsystems. We're creating the need for interfaces and flows of information or other things between subsystems. So again, we're still in this model-based design area. Propagate interior of the dwelling, similarly sound image. Detect, the dog is to do the detecting. Similarly sound, similar image. Classify, dog, We'll have the dog do the barking as opposed to the dog ball. Propagate, uh, it's going to be the interior of the dwelling. Here bark, we're going to have the operating instruction. That will be a, um, an operating task. <laughs> we're, not, we're not going to provide a hearing machine, a bark detecting machine, or a human to hang around. We're going to provide instructions to be done. Similarly, stuff here, we don't need to worry too much about that. Uh, whole food. So what we've just done is formally create a bunch of functional performance requirements on our subsystems, we are then going to turn immediately, turn our focus to reliability. Create smell, can it fail? Now, to cut a long story short, no. Uh, propagate smell, pretty much the same story. Detect smell, sure. 
dog could get sick, dog could die. So we work out the probability of that, the duration of that, and uh, we do that for the rest of these functions. Now what I'm describing is an FMEA, a finer modes of effects analysis, uh, used early, used as a design tool, uh, and iteratively with design and potentially redesign. So in fact we do all of that and we conclude, oh damn, we're not going to meet the requirements, which included reliability and availability up there. But uh, we're experienced engineers, we just have to, well when I say just, we have to add some health monitoring. So we, uh, where are we going to do? We'll come down there. Monitor health of dog. In a loop. Take dog to vet. Fix dog. Return dog to site. Reintroduce dog into service. You know, pat the dog. Good boy fighter, now go to work. Round there. Bit of performance. Down here. These are these are delays, some of these are delays. So every you know, every minute it adds to take the dog to the vet is a minute of unavailability that uh, takes away from meeting the requirement up there for availability. So it's important stuff. Uh, we find we don't have anything up there to do that stuff. It's not operating procedure, it's maintenance procedure. So we Okay, these are all maintenance procedure tasks. They're all maintenance tasks that are going to be codified, uh, communicated in a, in a maintenance instruction. We redo the FMEA, yes, we're now going to meet the requirement. We also, at this point, consider that given the importance of availability and the householder's uh, attachment to it, uh, maybe we can make more money by improving the availability, by providing a more benign environment for the dog. So we now have a, another architecture, alternative architecture being generated. Meanwhile, we had the satellite infrared imagery based approach, remember? We do the same thing, but we have different things here. We certainly don't have any crate smells or, or bark in the logical design because the logic is the logic of the physics. Now, physical and logical design are two sides of one coin, they're intimately related. And uh, we are using one as a way of getting the other right. So we do all of that, and that now gives us three alternative architectures. Dog-based without dog kennel, dog-based with dog kennel, and satellite infrared imagery-based. We will evaluate, possibly formally, the overall effectiveness. Now, all, each of these is there because it can meet the requirements. But we want to produce the overall best, now the best for the customer and the best for the company are going to be somewhat two different things possibly, but we evaluate the best and we get some sort of ranking. Uh, we, what I'm describing is effectiveness evaluation, decision making, the conduct of trade-off studies, uh, taking into account uncertainties, well-established, really effective techniques for doing that, and we get some sort of ranking. We look for opportunity to make improvements. That can change the ranking. We stop if we spent one more rand one more minute, we go backwards, we stop, and this is our architecture, which is a dog-based approach with dog kennel. Now we come back, for that, having chosen that architecture, we're going to come back and do the remaining work to fill in all the remaining detail at this physical level. We're then going to have to buy the dog. 
Now, at the moment, we've done all this in a design database, accessed by, of course, a model-based system engineering tool, of course, core, uh, sold by Daniel. And uh, now, that's all very good, terrific environment for doing good engineering, but we, we need to communicate the requirements to the supplier of the dog kennel. Uh, and the, the, the shop that's... Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, supplier of the dog. The shop, the, the pet shop that supplies the dog has staff that speak and read only Afrikaans. So what we need to produce and what they need, we need to produce, is a natural language requirement spec of the dog in Afrikaans. For the um, dog kennel, I'm going to have a carpenter design and build it. Carpenter speaks and reads only English. Natural language requirement spec in English. Now, for some other system, uh, say a nuclear reactor, uh, producing requirements in English or Afrikaans is a pretty bad idea. A control system for a nuclear reactor, say. Because very ambiguous, natural language. So for something like that, we, we'd use a mathematically based requirements language, incapable of expressing requirements ambiguously. <coughs> Doesn't stop them being wrong, but it helps a heck of a lot with the most common problem with requirements. So what I'm now describing is an activity of uh, adequate specification of system elements, the divide and conquer approach, transforming what was the initial problem definition into a set of individual problems, each sufficiently well defined, to buy the dog, to task the design and development of the dog kennel, and all the other stuff. We'll uh, verify requirements work products, architectural and detailed design work products. The dog arrives, we uh, inspect the dog, might even do a bit of dog testing, do a bit of subsystem verification. We bring the dog and the dog kennel and all the other bits together, system integration. Now we do that in a planned way with integration testing. Now we're not going to use integration uh, test bed for that, but we'll do a little bit of testing. Uh, and we end up with a system, we verify the system, test it, validate the system, do an operational trial in the customer's premises, uh, and we've just implemented uh, a whole bunch of those principles we ran through earlier. So uh, that's probably a world record snapshot of, <laughs> by way of example, uh, of the application of systems engineering to a, a, a simple domestic problem. <laughs> Guys, uh, uh, any any discussion on on just anything? Any any uh, the the invitation uh, that Cobus issued uh, included bringing to the meeting uh, any process issues uh, you may not be game given the time it's you know it's five past eight I, I can stay forever but uh, people have homes to go to but if there are is there any questions or any discussion on anything uh, that uh, you uh, would like to raise then I'd uh, welcome that discussion questions Robert thank you very much I, I enjoyed this very much um, so much of what we do are based on the requirements. Yeah. And I think we just started saying now to elicit the requirements are often from a, from a user who hasn't seen this kind of solution before. I, mean, I often work with the defense force and the type of requirement that they come forward with is a sort of extension of the thing that they know at the moment. Yeah. They've got a concept of operation, they've got some equipment and they want it somewhat better. However, if you come up with a totally different way of solving the problem, they have no requirement for that thing. So, so the very basic starting point is, is absent. How do you do it in that case? That's how. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Quite seriously. <laughs> this, this is a uh, 
package uh, of resources uh, on military capability development, a <laughs> perfect example, uh, and, and seriously, it, it has templates uh, and examples for doing exactly what you described. Uh, but the essence lies in starting with the military capability definition, not with a piece of technology. Now, if you, of course, if you have people who just won't do that, then we can go and start a wine farm, we can do something else with our lives. Daniel. I and that is so often that the guy that, that acquires the solution um, starts off with, with an idea that is completely removed from engineering or from any other creative task. He just has the idea because he saw some technology or he saw some ability or he really read it somewhere and said, okay, great, this can be done and I'd like to acquire it. And therefore, I'd like to acquire it in definition of my understanding of the technology, and I've got the wallet. So I'll give you a waterfall contractual model based on the risk that I'll take with my money. Let's get going. And then as the engineer, that can sometimes be quite frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So this uh, Yep. Ju put it another way, just as there are bad suppliers, there are also bad customers. And uh, I mean, seriously, we, we, we have some degree of control over our lives and how we spend our lives. In my experience, I've not met an engineer yet that hasn't written his own research work. <laughs> you said I'm right. I haven't worked on a project yet where I haven't done it. No, <laughs> <laughs> now, is that the solution or is it the problem? <laughs> I'm not, not going to take that any further. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, my experience has been much better. I often hear it said that users don't know what they want. Uh, but the evidence that that isn't the case is when you build something and you expose it, and they, that's not what I want. Well, you know, within half a second. So what's happened is that they haven't, it's not they don't know what they want, but they haven't, articul haven't been successful in communicating what they want, and we haven't been successful in extracting the, and recording the information. Yeah. Yeah. And it's if it's done with efficient techniques like that exist, uh, it's a small investment. It's much smaller than the historical consequences of not making that investment. I had one client who was on their way to court with a customer, we had hundreds of millions of dollars project, developed massively the wrong thing. Didn't do any requirements analysis, just started building, you know, started designing from the bad customer requirements. Exercising almost, suicid almost suicidal. And unfortunately, that's the way it turned out. Yeah. Any other questions? Robert? May, may I ask something now? <laughs> much more detail. We're next to this. I'm busy trying to define modes and states of a system. <laughs> okay, we've just changed the finish time to 9.30. <laughs> now, go ahead. So what I'm trying to get to is, um, when one looks at modes, I think the common definition says, or let's say states are, are, are things that can, can exi don't exist uh, concurrently. They are mutually exclusive. 
as opposed to modes that can, can occur in parallel. I wouldn't describe those as definitions, but as guidelines for selection, they're, they're reasonable guidelines. But you, you can have concurrency of state. I mean, you know, you know, we're all, all in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a live state, and we might also be in a state of tiredness or anxiety or something else. So concurrency of state in general is perfectly valid. But generally speaking, for the engineering application of state, uh, particularly the requirements application of state, uh, then starting with mutual exclusivity is beneficial. But adding it, allowing concurrency, if it becomes apparent, uh, that is going to be helpful which will be the minority, but occasionally it will be. But if you just say, what I find this, what users now want to do is to say, I'm talking about the radar, radar system, <laughs> and the, the user says he requires modes, detect target, track target, you know, classify target. And I would say those are functions. They're functions, yeah. But, but then there are, let's say there are sort of groups of, um, of functions that would make up the detection part. Um, but now what I'm trying to get to is to say now in a modern system you can actually do all of these things in parallel. You don't have to have different modes existing in the radar to, to do each of those. It can happen all in parallel. Yeah, that's all solution stuff. So they're not even mo I mean, they're, they're, it's solution stuff. They're not. They're not even modes. They just. It's just solution. The solution is actually dependent on the technology. Yeah. No, you're muddling up problem and solution. You're putting the expectation of solution into problem definition, which is not a good thing to do. Oh, that's different. It's probably both. I mean, if you, what you require is influenced, you know, but bearing in mind the requirement represents a decision to achieve something. It's not just a need, it, it, it's a decision to achieve something. And if we make decisions to uh, achieve something that is impossible, uh, that is inconsistent with what is possible in technology, or that doesn't take into account other factors uh, that, you know, for example, cost of this technology versus that technology. So what is possible and what costs in technology should influence the definition of requirements. Doesn't mean it should appear in the requirements, but it should influence their definition. Otherwise we'd have systems with requirements to be zero cost, infinite reliability, infinite performance and, and so on. It's totally infeasible. So we'd be spending effort to achieve the impossible. I'm up to it. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you, you might need to seek permission from the rest of the group.
where does mission definition fit into the whole system engineering project? It is a product of the application of systems engineering or the absence of application of systems engineering, as the case may be, uh, to, if we talk about military mission, as opposed to missions in general, uh, to the uh, provision of military capability as, as defence forces are tasked to provide. Uh, so, one level down from you, you know, most defence forces are tasked with, you know, you know, protect sea lanes, protect airspace, collect intelligence, you know, stuff like that. You know, maybe 12, 14, 16 different roles. Uh, and then, next level down from that, uh, well, in order to do that, what do we need to do? Uh, and there are lots of answers, which are solution answers to that thing, like, you know, one, you know, just nuke all, nuke all the threats is one way of protecting the sea lanes. We remove all the threats, no problem anymore. Um, but we, we do other stuff, so that... that uh, it, and the origin of uh, those missions... Uh, in satisfaction of the role of a defence force, um, is in solution development at that really top enterprise level. But it's still systems engineering. If, it's, if it's a systems approach is used, and it jolly well should be, because it's better than not using a systems approach. So that's essentially where the answer lies. I came across somebody who was offering a, for, uh, a service in a small company, saying they're doing mission engineering. And from what I can gather from what they say, to be very much like system engineering. Well, you, yeah, you certainly hope so. Yeah, I mean, defining the context, uh, defining the, um, as you say, the roles that's got to be uh, done, mm. who's going to do it, what capability do you require for that, yeah. and then all the way down to functions and, and, and elements. And yeah, and what are the alternatives, and what's, so what's the best, that, that all that stuff. Of the word, uh, engineering. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard much of use of that term. I've heard a little bit of it, but... <laughs> well, you know, systems engineering is a bit of a fad. I, I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but, you know, things have a life cycle. They become very popular, everybody talks about them, but then they get boring and they're replaced by some other fad. Uh, and, you know, so you have this endless cycle of new terms, uh, some emerging, some fading away, and, and that's going to happen to systems engineering, you can guarantee it. But... The principles are not going to fade away. They're going to just become part of the body of knowledge of how to do things. And they'll be widely practised, as they are now. So I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. But I'll be a, bit, a little bit irritated if I hear the term mission engineering, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think both, both from the guy selling and both... From the guy selling and the guy buying, is, is, is if they both have the ability to have confidence in the underlying principles, then it's an okay deal. And it should be sound principles. Yeah. Okay. I think any other questions? Uh, you can Should be offline. Yes. Oh. Thank you very much. Uh, I really enjoyed that example. That was really <laughs> awesome. But thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Thanks, Kervis. <Kobus. laughs> Thanks, guys.